everybody, I'm Dan Bingaman. And I'm John Lee. Welcome to another episode of Effective and Efficient. Well, John, it's been a while since we have had a new episode, but I think that this one is going to be worth it. I think so, too. We we have a very big event in Adult Ed Land uh, coming up this upcoming Sunday, the 21st, the COABE Conference. And I think this is going to be a great episode to celebrate that event. John, would it be safe to say that as a, as a way of marking the upcoming CoAbe conference or, or commemorating it, um, that this episode has maybe our biggest guest yet? If I were to put money on it, which I'm not, but if I were to put money on it, I would say that this is probably our biggest guest to date. And of course, we are talking about Jana Jenkins. No, I'm just kidding. But Jana, <laughs> Jana is is one of our guests for today's show, but we also have a very special guest as well. That's right. So we have Jana Jenkins, who is our first returning guest, who is, of course, the program advisor to the South. Hang on, John. Tell me. Southeast or Southwest? I always get it wrong. <sighs> Southeast, Dan. Southeast. The, the program advisor to the Southeast region uh, <laughs> is our first intentionally returning guest to the show, which is very big, and she's going to come and provide us um, some information about her upcoming CoAbe presentations that those of you who are attending CoAbe, and I believe there is still time if you, uh, um, since it is a virtual conference this year, that if you uh, are not had not previously planned on attending CoAbe, there is still time to sign up. Uh, so she's going to be talking about uh, what she plans to present on uh, at the upcoming conference. Uh, but after that, uh, we will be speaking with the CEO of CoAbe herself. Uh, CEO. CEO. The CEO, John. That's Chief Executive Officer. The head honcho. Big time. Big time. Sharon Bonney, the CEO of CoAbe, has agreed to come on this show and speak to the likes of us. John, what which, do you think about which that? Means, which means our our listeners will definitely want to stay tuned. We we talk, we cover a wide spectrum of um, topics all related to adult education. And, uh, and we actually we, stay on topic this time. It's really we, all adult ed related. We even try to talk to her about something non-adult ed related, and she brings it back to adult ed because she's that dedicated to adult yes. ed. So... For those who are listening to this adult education podcast and you actually wanted a adult education centric episode, this is going to be this is going to be the one for you guys. Uh, so it is everything adult ed, everything co-abe, and we we hope you enjoy it. That's right, John. Up next, we turn to a conversation we had with Southeast Regional Program Advisor Janet Jenkins about her upcoming co-abe trainings and other projects she has going on. And make sure to stay tuned because later in the show, we'll be joined by Sharon Bonney, the CEO of CoAbe, to talk about what the organization does, the direction she sees adult education moving, and so much more. Stay with us. Joining us on the show today, our first repeat guest... First ever, I think, right? John, we haven't had anybody on the show a second time, right? I mean, we haven't had like hundreds of episodes or anything, so it's probably... Right. I mean, we've made so many episodes, it's hard to remember. But I think Jenna is the first repeat 
offend, I mean, guest yep. on the show. I think Sarah was. That we've, Sarah. Uh, that's possibly. Possibly yeah. Sarah. Maybe I Sarah. think you're right. I can't feel I special. Right. I'm not special. That's okay. No, Sarah, no, you are special. You're just the second most special. <laughs> Sarah wasn't really like a repeat guest, though. You know, I mean, like she was, she she came on sort of like as a co-host because we were doing an ESL-themed show and we were interviewing somebody from a program that she had been involved with in, at Fort Smith a lot and that she kind of hooked us up with that interview. And then we brought her on right after right before she left as kind of like a farewell so i don't know if that really counts you see you see all the work you did to make Mm -hmm. it sound like you are the first i appreciate it so you're you're the i mean you're the first you're the first repeat guest that like we've invited specifically to talk to jana we we invited sarah to talk to sarah specifically about sarah only once she was just there a second time to talk about ESL stuff. So as the first repeat guest solely about the guest, mm-hmm. this is a high, a high honor. Okay. So, well, let's, I'll take go it. Back, I'll take so let's just go back to saying you're special, Jenna. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, Hey, <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> just happy to be here. We're happy to have you. <laughs> What's going on? Just waiting to get vaccinated. Yeah, that's uh, that was going to be what I was going to bring up because Jana didn't. You just you just got your first mm-hmm. your first vaccination, correct? Yes, I was really scared that I was going to have all these after effects, but I feel good. I feel fine. So mm-hmm. I got Pfizer, and so I'm doing it. I got to wait three whole weeks to go back, and now mm-hmm. I am free to Spe- yeah. the community. Speaking of after effects, I was I was one of the um, unfortunate ones who who did. Uh, suffer some side effects. I had my second shot. It was the Moderna one. Had that this past Wednesday, and it pretty much it it kind of did take me out for almost a whole day. It was it was kind of similar to a flu, I guess. Not not quite as bad, but similar. So, but luckily, it yeah, it lasts for maybe twelve uh, twelve to twenty four hours. Back to feeling normal now. So. I'm kind of looking Probably. forward to having some side effects. What? <laughs> I think you all are men. You all are just babies. It yeah. was nothing. Well, I, think, I mean, uh, I think it, I was just not the fuller. Well, honestly, so I, I have not been, with the exception of like the, I've been to Lowe's a little bit, double masked. Oh, wow. I've been to. Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm rocking the double mask. I'm not catching wow. this thing in the final stretch. No way. Are um, you the weird ones wearing the gloves too? I don't wear, no, I don't wear the gloves. I don't wear the okay. gloves. I'm, I'm, I feel like I feel like the gloves thing has been fairly well. Like nobody's getting this thing off of surfaces. Like you know how everybody was like scrubbing all their fruits and vegetables there for a while, and like <laughs> yeah. I saw somebody on Twitter the other day saying that like she had she had scrubbed with soap and water a whole head of garlic. Um, right there at the beginning when everybody thought that they needed to be washing their groceries. So no, I mean, mm-hmm. I was never that serious, although we did there for a while, like we would bring groceries in that we had had delivered when we weren't going anywhere and we would wipe them down with like Clorox wipes and all that stuff. But no, we, we were never glove people, but, um, 
but yeah, no, once those like super contagious variants started coming around and they were saying, you probably need to be wearing two of these things. Then I started mm-hmm. doing like the medical mask and the cloth mask. And I'm still doing that. Cause again, not catching this thing once I've got like a couple weeks until I can get this vaccine maybe, or maybe sooner. Like I'm not going to no, but, uh, but no, that I, is how it would happen. Exactly. Right. right. But like, I haven't <laughs> been, I haven't been sick in mm-hmm. the longest stretch of my life. I mean, like I was never like a person that got sick a lot, but like I could always count on catching something from one of my kids, you know, mm-hmm. a strep. A Absolutely. Something. You're little. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I haven't been anywhere of note really. I didn't ever get COVID. And so I'm just, and I've never been somebody who's ever had any kind of side effect from any kind of medication that I've ever taken or any shot. You always hear about all these side effects that people mm-hmm. have or people that feel bad after they get a vaccine. And so I'm kind of, honestly, I'm just curious for something to happen to me after this year. A little I, was bit. A, I was a little bit of the same way because people always talk about how they had the side effects from the flu shot. And I have never had those side effects. No. From the flu shot. So I was curious if, if I was going to have those uh, here. But well, sure what enough. else am I going to do, right? I'm still at home. Right. I don't have anything else to do. You're weird. You're weird. Yeah. I can be yeah. knocked out. I, I, I can be, I can be, no. I, I can be knocked out not. for a day. <laughs> I can lay on the couch well, and whatever. That's a, I don't oh. have anywhere else to go. Jenna, what was it that, that uh, Cat Williams said about, about uh, medication? When the side effects are worse... Right. And what the medicine is trying to heal. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Because you know what? When you called me yesterday, you were like, yeah, I can't go because I, I, you know, I got fever chills. I'm like, man, you might as well have COVID because COVID was terrible. That was an awful, 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 stupid, awful uh, disease, whatever it was. It was a hot mess. Cause, Wait, I was mean, it awful? It was awful. It was just, it was just like I couldn't, you know, walking ten steps. I was exhausted. I was and my body hurt, and I couldn't taste the. That's the worst thing. You know what? I could have got past the chills and all that other foolishness, but when I can't taste food, because I, I like food, so when you can't taste food, there's a problem. And I was mad. I was hot because yeah. I was buying all these different types of foods, trying to taste it, and that was the worst thing about it. I know that's that sounds crazy, but honestly, oh, that would be terrible. You know, I could be sick, sneezing, coughing, but darn it, at least let me eat and enjoy right. something yeah. in life. <laughs> something, yeah. So, but no, that was just, it was just weird. So, and yeah. then like, you know, with the gloves, the people that got me with wearing gloves was they would wear gloves, not touch anything, but then go touch food and then put it in their mouth. And I'm like, but right. you just, you, you, why are you wearing gloves then? You just did exactly what you would do with your hands. You could easily wash them. So, or I'm like, just, or, yeah. the, or, you know, they'd be typing on their phone with their gloves Absolutely. and then still put their phone <laughs> on their face without doing anything to their phone. I mean, mm-hmm. right. so I think this whole thing has gotten out of hand. Just, I think people now are just doing stuff to check it off the box and say, yeah, yeah we did it, we attempted it. And so, I do appreciate the, the general state. germ awareness that, like, I mean, I was always a little bit of like a clean freak. I mean, like I've I've been a hand washer my whole life. I would life. never guess that about you, Dan. <laughs> no, not at all. No, been, as messy as you are, Dan. Come on now. I've been a hand washer <laughs> my whole life. I've, I mean, I'm very fastidious when it comes to like how things are prepared. Like when I'm 
cooking and things and i feel like everybody's had just sort of like a global awakening to like how germs are transferred from surfaces (laughs) to other surfaces and we may everybody may just sort of it may just sort of dissipate like everybody's Uh collective uh, once once everybody's vaccinated and things generally go back to normal everybody may sort of collectively forget about it so are you saying it's going to disappear like magic no (laughs) no (laughs) i won't forget about it i mean but no i agree with you because it was like people just discovered bleach it's like really yeah bleach has been around around. we've in our dishwater like i when i wash dishes i put in bleach when i clean up stuff i'm like to me it's not clean until some bleach hit it well i think i think that once things go back to normal people are going to go back to normal hard yes Mm -hmm. that's because you can't get anything else like people don't understand the alignment between germs and washing your hands versus getting sick with any other thing so COVID right now is the only thing that it affects. You know, you can't transfer colds and flus and anything else. Yep. This is just COVID. So, right. of course, yep. it's going to go back to normal. So, mm-hmm. I just, just want to say, Dan, that I've I've never had the opportunity to use the word fastidious mm-hmm. in a sentence before. So yep. I'm going to I'm going to try to set my game up here. I- I use my context clues to def- decode it, yeah. so I was, I was real proud of myself. It's a good, it's a good word. <laughs> he got his calendar of the day, his word of the day. On the <laughs> I got to use this in a sentence today. Make others feel stupid. <laughs> if, if nothing else, it's this year of uh, isolation has been good for uh, boning up on your on your vocab. <laughs> So, uh, Jana, let's turn to COABE, because I know that the 2021 COABE conference is just around the corner. I think we are planning on releasing this episode the week before it starts, uh, and it starts, I think, on the 20, uh, March 21st, which is actually a Sunday. The pre-conference starts on a Sunday. Uh, so can you tell uh, everybody a little bit about what you, uh, you and Wendy have been working on? I know that you are presenting a couple of sessions uh, this year for the virtual conference. So can you kind of walk us through uh, what you're going to be talking about at the COABE conference this year and kind of um, talk to us a little bit about how that's been going and, and what attendees can expect when they come to your sessions? It's going to be good. Um, I am going to be doing two, I think, breakout sessions. Um, one, I'm going to be on one with Wendy Kittler. She's going to be going over math anxieties. And then the other one, I'm going to try to help teachers um, with integrated educational plans and training. Well, I'm sorry. IET, Integrated Educational Training Plans. Um, It's an easy concept, but I think people have taken it and it's just become some convoluted um, task that seems impossible. And really all it is is you're teaching reading and math through things of interest, like, you know, becoming a CNA or a welder or, you know, getting your CDL license. So, you know, I am more, much more interested um, in the reading piece and math piece if I understand it in context. So, um, like, you know, if I wanted to become a CNA, um, the information, the reading, the, the math behind it would be something that's easier for me to take and grow in versus a teacher sitting down with me and giving me a book on whales or those paragraphs, you know, those fun worksheets that we tend to give our students as, as prep, test prep. And so pretty much that's all it is. And, you know, 
Unfortunately, IET hasn't been well defined as far as what type of certifications you can get. Like there is no list out there for nationally recognized um, industry specific certifications. So that's become the hardest thing. So everybody keeps reverting back to just CNA, welding, CDL. And so we're trying to separate those nationally recognized certificates from little things like OSHA 10 um, or first aid or something like that, that they those things are not considered to be an IET. So that's the first barrier we're having, just trying to figure out what we can do to help our students um, grow in this area. Because, you know, our audience, our tar target audience for an IET are not high, high level students who are going to go to college. They're students that could get a job right now at a lower level and get a better job in a higher wage. So we want to train them on that. And you will see even in high school. Um, when students are put in classes where they're learning a technical skill, they grow faster. Yeah. And that's all we want our students to be able to do. Grow faster. They have a higher interest in it. They're more, they're more likely to complete it. When you signed up, was the thought originally that this was still going to be an in-person conference or had it already become a virtual conference at that point? No, we thought it was going to be an in-person conference. And then we got an email a few weeks later saying that this was going to be an online training like it was last year. And it, you know, the, the site they used was awesome. It was a great um, online training. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for some things, a lot of people like to be face to face so sure. they can really put their hands in activities and things like that. So and that's you, one thing I'm definitely going to miss. Did you have to do a lot of adjusting to what you were planning on doing or did you did you not get very far in the in the planning and sort of preparation of your presentation before they had announced that it was going to be a virtual uh, conference I hadn't got very far um because I, I really only wanted to present um, face to face. But since, you know, they they put me in there, you know, I just really want to take this opportunity to help some way. So yeah. I have tried to change my presentation up a little bit. I, I'm a hands on person. So in person, we would have done things with those three activities just to show the teachers how easy it is. Um, but online, I'm going to have to become very creative in how I uh, present the information. Because I, once again, my my outcome for this is to make sure the teachers understand that it's easy. It's not something extra that you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, was this... Um when it was going to be in person, was this the one that was going to be in Nashville? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been a pretty good spot. Yeah. It's nice uh, there. For the conference. Yeah. So when, um, when are you presenting and is it how long? Okay. <laughs> we'll skip that right along. <laughs> I mean, look, I have got that for a job. <laughs> okay. I know my That's presentation is only about 45 minutes to an hour long. Okay. Um, okay. I, I, just, I haven't looked to see when it is. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm a last minute person. I need that 26 hey, seconds. No, well, I, 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 we understand. I, I, I remember looking the other day, and I think that CoAbe seems to think that they know when you're presenting. So they do. They do. You might. <laughs> <laughs> want to find out at some point, but you do still have a couple of weeks. 
I am going to do that this weekend. I was going to sit down and really go through everything. Listen, I need 25th hour at the end of the day, because like I said, even if I would have wrote the entire presentation out five months ago or two months ago, I'm still going to go back the night before yeah. and redo the whole thing. So, so I'll be there. <laughs> what about other projects that you have had uh, going on? I know that um, last year, I think, I'll admit that I don't really remember because COVID has sort of messed with my entire conception of time. Uh, but I know that you had a pilot program with a small group of teachers from around the state for uh, teaching skills that matter. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about how that has been going mm-hmm. uh, and, and just sort of, uh, if you could just sort of give us a, a little bit of a, a status update um, for, for, uh, for that project um, and maybe kind of remind listeners of what, what that project is um, and sort of uh, tell us how that's been going. That's been going great. We, um, I think February 25th was the, let me see, let me make sure. Yep. Okay. So we broke the te- the pilot teachers and I broke up um, parts of teaching skills that matter um, into three different sessions. We wanted to teach the teachers of Arkansas the different approaches and then show them how to use those approaches in different subject areas. So the three different approaches were problem solution, project-based and contextualized instruction, which all goes with IET, with all goes with everything. And within those, we had the first one, which was, um, I believe it was project-based February 25th, and we showed them a a health literacy uh, activity, financial literacy, and I think a civics education lesson. Um, I think next week on March 11th, I believe. Nope. I'm sorry. March 11th already happened. Um, March 18th, we're going to do problem solution and we're going to talk about the different um, subjects again through those. And then our last one will be in April and that's that'll be contextualized instruction. So that's the first thing we're going to do. And then hopefully this summer we'll have we'll be able to bring back the teacher institute or teacher summit. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can have a face to face, we are hoping that we can do that this summer in July again. And we were definitely going to bring back teaching skills that matter through that as well and start some coaching if possible. Okay. But it's been going well. Everybody got posters and things like that. So, and it's been well received. Yeah. So the pilot teachers have done a great job with it. Okay. Yeah. Cause that kind of relates to the question that, that I was about to ask when it comes to coaching. So, when those teachers go through this program is, is the idea for them, um, is it for, I guess, that a group of teachers to, to expand or um, is it just for them to kind of bring that information back uh, to their programs? Um, How does that work? Um, We, we wanted to, we were going to take the pilot teachers and maybe coach one or two people per per region first to teach them how to use the different approaches in classes. We were going to observe them. And then those teachers would then take on um, people to coach as well. And so we were hoping to be able to gotcha. train each program on how to coach because it's not as simple as people perceive it to perceive it to be. 
So we want to make sure that we un the, the coaches understood what they should be looking for, what type of advice to give. I mean, because it is a it can be sensitive to go into somebody else's classroom and observe them and give them that feedback. So we wanted to train our teachers on how to do that, give positive feedback and um, just give them um, feedback to help them actually grow. That's all I have to say. I don't have anything else whimsical to say. <laughs> Y'all are sitting up there listening like, oh, wow, what else you going to get nothing? <laughs> it's Friday, people, at three. So It is it is Friday at three. Yeah. Anything I mean, you're looking forward to doing once things are, are kind of back to normal, non-work related, just just generally travel. Travel. Where, wanna, where do you want to go? I think I could I could do Vegas again. I could do an island. I mean, anywhere at this point, Dan. Anywhere. I mean, trips to Walmart at this point have become like luxury. Like, wow, <laughs> just walking around. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying. My wife and I are trying to plan a. Our, it'll be our our ten year wedding anniversary next summer. Wow! Um, and so we're trying yeah. to plan a solo, not individual. Like I go somewhere, she goes somewhere. But like, a, <laughs> we understood. That's so, a good plan too. I mean, I mean honestly, but like a you know no children. Right. Out no of, children. Like out of the country trip somewhere. So we're trying to find a place mm -hmm. to do that. Um, that would be fun. But anyway, we're this summer once once we're all vaccinated, I think we're we're gonna have to get out of Arkansas at least, and still find some place that we can kind of seclude away from people who are willfully not being vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but just see a different part of the country at least. So you all haven't been to like any restaurants or anything? No, truly. I mean, uh, we, <laughs> no, uh, no. I mean, wow. back in, we went out and sat outside at a Mexican restaurant in like May or something, last May. And then back in maybe like October or something, we went and sat outside at Big Orange in at the promenade and then just the other day we went and sat outside at sauced the pizza place um in west little rock uh, and that is it like the extent of our eating out over the past year and we used to eat out all the, i mean now we have ordered in a lot of food Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. I mean, we have eaten out in the sense that we have not cooked and had other people cook it and deliver it to us more <laughs> than we probably ever have in our entire adult life over the past I do year. Not want, I do not want to see the amount that I've spent oh on God. just delivery fees alone. Insane. I mean, over like... Over the past year. Insane. I mean, yeah. even from, yeah. like, we live a mile away from some places <laughs> and I will pay somebody to deliver it to me. Yeah. I know. Instead of going anyway, but like so we've we've certainly like eaten out in that sense, but like in terms of actually going someplace three times literally in the last year. No. I would lose um, my mind. And we, we just about have and that's why we did the other day and it was really it was pretty nice, but um, we're going to go? have to we went to sauced, but we're going to have to slowly yeah. retrain our children uh, about <laughs> how to how to re-enter society <laughs> once that's possible because it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it, we were, it was like living with raccoons before and now mm -hmm. they've just become, 
more a part of nature yep. inside my house. So, And you're not going to really know the extent of that until you're around other people and they embarrass the heck out of yeah. you. And you're going to be like, oh, my God, like they're eating with their feet in public. My son is just as bad. I'm like, you have to get out this house. You have to. Well, no, I mean, because he's been um, he was doing online school and then about. I think December, I was over it. He was over it. Yeah. He was begging me to go back to school. And I was like, you can, let's go. Cause you're not doing anything. And, but he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't do anything. And it's, and like you said, we go out to restaurants now or places and he has, just, he doesn't have any social skills anymore. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> my, my, my boys have gone. I was a little worried that it would make them kind of weird um, around people. And it seems to have had almost the opposite. Of, I mean, they're, they're still, they're a little weird, I guess, in the sense that they're like too friendly now around uh-huh. people, oh, like yeah. awkwardly friendly. So it's not that they're like now they're shy around people. It's that like when we go to like Lowe's or we go to like, we make it, we don't hardly take them anywhere because they don't, they won't wear their little masks or the, we mm-hmm. have a hard time getting them to keep them on. But like we'll go to Target or someplace and they will just chat up anybody for <laughs> as long, as, like an uncomfortable amount of time. And it starts out, it starts out cute because it's cute when kids want to talk to adults mm-hmm. about whatever they want to talk to. But like but then adults start but, looking at the parents like, okay, you, you go stop this now, right? Why is, yeah. Why is, why is he, why is he still talking to me? Right. Right. About right. What, like, Telling all so, y'all household business. Right. <laughs> My dad likes, whoa, whoa, hey now. Yeah. So why is he giving me your address? Right. 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 Are you going to come play with me at my house? You can do that. <laughs> Y'all all have fun with that. Anyway, I have to go pick up this boy before. Speaking talk. of kids. So, all right, guys, I will see you all later. You have a okay. good evening. See ya. Okay. Thank you, Jana. Thanks. Bye-bye. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. Once again, thanks to Jana Jenkins for coming on the show to speak to us. Jana, good luck next week as you present at CoWabe. Up next, we turn to our conversation with Sharon Bonney, the CEO of the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. We hope you'll stay with us. Pleased to be joined by Sharon Bonney, who is the CEO of CoAbe. 
Uh, Sharon, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. So talk to us a little bit about how you got started with adult education. I'll admit that over the weekend a little bit, as we were sort of prepping for the show, as we were writing questions, um, I was I was trying to find out a little bit about you. Uh, I was snooping on your LinkedIn a little bit. I don't know if you got the little notification that people had, had looked at your profile. Uh, but I saw that you've been with CoAbe uh, for the past uh, 11 years. So how did you get involved uh, with adult education? Uh, what did you do before, uh, before joining uh, the ranks of, of CoAbe? So Dan, mine is a kind of an, an odd story. I've actually been in the field of adult education uh, for 22 years, and I started out working for another organization, um, Pro Literacy, as a matter of fact. And while I was there, I started out first as the receptionist, and then from there, um, I became uh, one of the customer service reps in the New Readers, Readers Press, which is connected with Pro Literacy. And then from there, I became the operations director. And um, I worked at Pro Literacy for 12 years. While I was at Pro Literacy, uh, the Coalition on Adult Basic Education had separated from an organization called AAACE. And so they were looking for infrastructure support. And so Pro Literacy provided support to them. And since I was a part of their senior management team, um, I was in on those discussions and was one of the first to provide services. So when um, the time came for CoAid to go out on their own, I, they asked me if I would join on as their operations manager, and so I did. So I worked with them in two, so 11 years ago, uh, 2009. I worked with them first as their operations manager, and then from there, their executive director, and then their CEO. So really, I've been with them actually about 20 years, um, but just 11 of those years um, in a more dedicated role. Talk to us just a little bit about uh, CoAbe. Um, many of our listeners are probably familiar with it, uh, hopefully. Uh, but for those who aren't, because we might have some new folks who are listening, uh, just kind of tell us a little bit about what it is and what the organization does. Sure. Um, so the Coalition on Adult Basic Education is the premier organization that represents the federally funded programs in adult education. Um, so there's 65,000 teachers and administrators in the field that work with 1.5 million adult learners across the country. There's more than 2,000 local programs that are federally funded. They receive about $800 million annually that comes down from the federal government to the state directors of adult education down to local programs. So our role at CoAve is we provided leadership, um, advocacy, communication, and professional development. We do a number of different things. So in the terms of leadership, we work with a number of leading organizations such as Amazon and Tyson and Google and Apple and Walmart and Dollar General, just a number of different leading organizations in that way, but we also work with a number of national organizations such as the National Coalition for Literacy, um, Pro Literacy, TESOL, a number of different organizations like that, the National Governors Association, U.S. Conference on Mayors, and those sorts of organizations. We work with them in a variety of different ways so that we can provide the most services to the field. For example, we work with the National Governors Association. I've met with them on multiple occasions and presented on the value of adult education and really helped to loosen the purse strings um, for the, the Governor's Emergency Education Funding and done that on behalf of the field. So we work with them that way. Um, but we also work with state associations and state advocacy associations as well. So we provide a lot of uh, training to them for example, at our national conference, we'll be providing training um, there for three hours in a pre-conference where we'll be providing them everything from 
how do I set up a state association to how do I run a state board, those sorts of things, because we really feel that state associations are that nice in between uh, between the national and the local program. We also provide professional development. So we provide over 50 webinars annually, and they're on a number of different topics. We also provide a journal that's that um, is full of best practices created by and for the membership. We also provide a national conference where we'll have over 4,000 that will attend. So we'll have over 375 concurrent sessions over three days. We also have multiple public awareness campaigns that we provide to really raise visibility for the field. So as you can see, we're a very busy, dynamic, and growing organization. Well, along those lines, I, I I will say as a part of my uh, as a part of my snooping <laughs> that I did in, in in preparation for our our speaking today, uh, I was looking at your at, at your bio on Coab's website, and I noticed that <clears throat> you know, obviously you're you're talking about reaching out to uh, to people that that hold the purse strings um, at local and state and federal levels, uh, and that uh, you spearheaded. Um, an internationally acclaimed uh, effort, the Educate and Elevate Public Awareness Campaign that staved off something like $200 million in, in funding cuts and added uh, a bunch more um, funding streams uh, to adult ed and, and to COABE. Can you talk about uh, about what that campaign was, what, what that entailed, and, and what um, undertaking something like that um, looks like? Yes, I'd be happy to. So we were really concerned when um, the last administration came along um, during the Trump years, primarily just because we knew they probably weren't really all that familiar with adult education. So we felt this was our time to really uh, make known what adult education is and raise visibility. So we worked together with the National Association of the State Directors of Adult Education and a firm called Full Capacity Marketing. And the goal really was to get the field to come together and really rally and coalesce around the, the statement that adult education is needed. And so it was educate the public and elevate the need for adult education. So educate and elevate. So we worked really hard at that for, for actually for two years, two solid years to push that out. We were able through those efforts to, we were picked up by success files with Rob Lowe and they created a video for us that was then pushed out to 43 million viewers nationwide. And that really kind of launched us off into a number of other ways as well, a number of other areas. Um, Did you but say I Rob having, Lowe? Yeah, Success Files of Rob Lowe. Yes. <laughs> wow. So they created the video for us. Yeah, it's on our website. If you look at educateandelevate.org, it's right there. Did you get to meet Rob Lowe? I did not. No. no. <laughs> all the ladies in the office were asking about that. <laughs> but no, I did not. <laughs> um, but they, his, his, uh, editorial manager or campaign manager reached out to us, which I thought was really nice. We had done a press yeah. release and we'd gotten picked up in um, The Hill, which is a publication on The Hill in DC. Yeah. And that's where they found out about us. And so because we had won six International Davies Awards, um, they asked if they could create a video about it, about Educate and Elevate. And so that really was a great way to start raising visibility, but it truly was just the start of our efforts because adult education is so severely underfunded. Um, when you think about the fact that on average, we get about the field of adult education, the local programs get anywhere between 200 to $1,200 per year for adult learners, whereas in elementary ed, um, the pupil is about $10,000 per pupil. So there's a huge disparity, but we're working with those with the most barriers to employment. And most barriers, you know, really to 
getting back into society and getting on their feet. So that's something that we've been really trying to raise awareness about, as well as the fact that often our teachers are really underpaid. Often they are taking a pay cut to be in our profession, working yeah. multiple jobs without benefits. And so we've been really trying to raise awareness about that as well, because we think, why should our teachers have to take a pay cut to be in our profession? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why is that fair? So we've been really working with legislators on that as well. That's that's a that's a good point. That's and it's something that we see in in our state as well. I mean, obviously, a lot of our teachers in Arkansas are 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 retired teachers that still do it because they love teaching, um, and it's not necessarily because they need to be working. Um, can you know? But but a lot of them, um, you know, the the, the pay is a is a problem, and so um, you know anything that anything that pro- programs can do to, to find new funding streams and things like that to, to pay their teachers more, the, the better quality of candidates that they can reach out to, yep. um, um, you know, obviously that's going to impact our students and that's what we want to see. Um, so. And, and Dan, we've seen <clears throat> such a graying of the field of adult education. And I think it's for that, that reason you just said. So people come in, you know, get into the field after they've retired. It's like, something they're doing just to be nice, which is wonderful. Yeah. But we'd also like to, we'd like, we'd like for this to be just as reputable and distinguished of a field as working in elementary ed or, or you know, higher right. ed should be. So yeah. that's something we've been, we've been working away at. Yeah. And I, I will say, I mean, I, I, I come from a, from a K-12 background myself. I, I taught um, for a, a, about six years, um, in, in a K-12 setting before coming to work for the state, um, in adult ed. And I was really just not even aware of, of all that was going on in adult ed before I came to work, uh, in adult ed. Um, and so I think these, these types of awareness campaigns are really important, um, because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of, of the goings on in adult ed world, adult ed land, uh, to quote one of our directors, um, in, in Arkansas now. Um, but, but I think that awareness is not felt broadly, um, even still. Um, so, um, thank you, Rob Lowe. We need more of you. Thank you. And I think a lot of people feel like, with adult education, that it's just getting your high school equivalency, like getting your GED. And it yep. is so much more than that. So if I may, right. I mean, adult education is college and career readiness. It's helping people get into community college. It's helping people with uh, workforce readiness skills. So my one of my jobs is to work with partners like Amazon and Tyson and others to create jobs so that when our adult learners go through our program and learn, you know, all sorts of workforce readiness skills that they need that when they get out, there's a job waiting for them. Yeah. That's something that many local programs are doing. They're working with employers to make sure that when the adult learners come through their program, they're then employable. So uh, that's one of the things, but then also digital literacy, you know, making sure that adult learners know how to use a, a computer. And that was one of the big pushes with the Google Applied Digital Skills Program. We were working closely with them for, well, now going into three years. Yeah. They're trying to really help these adult learners know how to work on the computer, how to set up a Gmail account, how to work in Google and that sort of thing. And so we had a big push there as well. Um, but I feel like oftentimes people just think, oh, it's just, you know, the high school dropouts, which we absolutely want to serve them too. But when you look at the 1.5 million adult learners in our system, 943,000 of them are immigrants that are here that need to learn to speak the language. Mm. So that's, that's one part. They're legal immigrants that are here. They come legally in the country, 
And I really feel that's very important to help them get the skill set that they need so that they can get into society and be contributing citizens. Yeah. But then there's many others as well. We, we, we serve the aged out of foster care. We serve single parents. We serve the extremely poor. You know, we, we serve many. If I was to show you, I actually have a, a PowerPoint. I'd be happy to show you guys where it, it just breaks down based on the NRS who exactly we're serving. And you see, we really are working with those with the most barriers to employment. And I'm not even sure if uh, what the numbers look like uh, nationally for those ESL students. But here in Arkansas, it's, it, it is the ESL students that are actually carrying the state as far as meeting our benchmarks are concerned. Um, you know, and so that population is, you know, they are getting the opportunity because of these services, but they're also doing very well. Yes. And oftentimes they really feel this desire to give back, right. And to work really hard and to, to get into, to, uh, to jobs and to, to be giving back to society that way. So um, that's something that we, I think we feel really proud about. And again, we're, we're talking about legal folks that are here legally that we're able to count in the NRS and that sort of thing. And we've also been working really hard at the move ahead with adult ed national uh, public awareness campaign. We received um, funding from Google to do some ads to really help bring in adult potential adult learners. So as you probably are aware, our programs had to move from the brick and mortar to the virtual setting. And many of them yeah. aren't familiar with how do I market myself online? How do I help adult learners to come find my program online? So really yeah. changing the way that they were sort of doing business. And so COEB is here to help them. So we came up with this national public awareness campaign um, for adult learners to get adult learners in the doors. and. Uh, part of this is where an adult learner could go on to our site and they could put in their zip code and uh, they'll find programs within five miles of them. And they'll be able to say, be able to see if the program provides virtual or in-person instruction or both and all the sorts of things they provide from yeah. college readiness to uh, workforce readiness skills and that sort of thing. And that's so helpful. Advertising, just those recruitment efforts are difficult for programs. Finding out how to reach our students I don't know what I don't know broadly what that's like across the country, um, but I know in Arkansas that is a that's a challenge in in normal times, um, reaching out to to our demographics um, pre COVID, um, and especially once everything was shutting down and and people were having to stay home and programs were shut and you know closing down, people were um, you know people were being laid off. It was a it was a good time to work on some skills, but where do I go to do that? Um, how do I where do I go to find programs that are open? How do I still make progress um, towards my goals um, if if the brick and mortars are not open? And so having something you know having a sort of a central hub where you can go and find that information uh, be so helpful um, because I know that that was a struggle for for a lot of our programs is sort of keeping that word out. Um, about, you know, we're still open, um, even if it doesn't look like we are. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that has been sort of concerning is that many of the adult learners didn't have Wi-Fi or devices. Yeah. So now there's not the brick and mortar. And so what does that mean in terms of ensuring that these adult learners can continue on with their education? So that's been a real concern. And we've been we've been talking with the National Governors Association and Apple and T-Mobile and other organizations just really trying, how can we get Wi-Fi devices or Wi-Fi and devices for our adult learners? The other thing is that maybe they do have Wi-Fi, maybe they do have a device, but their children are home, on, you know, because of COVID. And so their children are using 
the broadband access or using the, the devices. So it's really uh, put a spotlight on that need as well. The need to make sure that every home has what, what is needed so that all the learners, including the adult learners, can receive instruction. When you when you meet with you know people from Apple or people from Amazon or, or all these you know Google or and I, I know you've mentioned a, a long sort of standing partnership with Google, but um, when you meet with these leaders in, in these industries and these companies that we've all you know we all hear about, we all interact with, um, do you find that they're receptive to uh, working with adult ed largely? Do they understand the importance of that mission? Um, and are they, are they, is there a, a broad willingness to um, work with CoAbe and, and, and provide uh, the sorts of resources that you are asking for, that you're needing um, generally? Or is, you know, do you have to do a lot of work to sort of help them understand the benefit for their company or for their industry? That's a great question. So we do have a behind every employer campaign as well, where we it's specifically targeted to workforce. And so it shows how when you're working with a workforce will work with adult education, how it provides this talent pipeline for that uh, that employer. So those are organizations we're working with, like Unifirst, Prologis, Dollar General, Walmart, Tyson, organizations like that. And we have a lot. We have data sheets and we have you know, videos and things that help make the case. But I love to talk to employers about how we really are helping them. It's, it's not just that they're helping us. We are helping them to have a skilled workforce. And so it's really not a tough case to make once you start looking at the data. Once you start looking at that return on investment, it's not a tough case to make. It's just getting that first discussion going with them. Um, but then they've what I have found is once we get talking, and, and they're able to see how it helps and impacts their bottom line, it's an easy discussion from there on out. It really is. It's finding ways, the best way we can partner with them so that, so that it's good for them and good for the field. And um, so we have a lot of customized partnerships because of that. Like we really look for ways that we can customize at the national level for that employer. One of the organizations I'm most proud of is Tyson. And that's because what they have done is they now have these on site, right there, right up there on the, the site, they have these adult ed programs that they're working with and actually got started there in Arkansas, as I'm yeah. sure you're aware. Right. And so, yeah. you know, they have 122,000 plus team members, as they call them, the frontline members who are working right there, you know, cutting up the chickens. And they're providing them with the opportunity to get uh, the skills that they need so that they could then have a career pathway in Tyson. And so they won't always be working on the chickens. They may have a job as a manager or as a transporter or something else. So it really gives them hope, gives these adult learners hope and gives them the ability to see that they can move up in the company. One of the things that we have been really um, emphasizing with our programs, with our the, the directors of our programs is, is um, trying to get them to reach out and uh, make <clears throat> business connections um at, at the program level, you know, for their advisory committees and, and just sort of obviously to sort of to uh, to sort of do on a on a smaller scale, the same thing that you're doing on a on a larger scale at CoAbe is, is making those connections with industry so that there's kind of a pipeline for their students when they exit the program. Um, and I know that, you know, for for some directors that comes easier uh, than others, the making those contacts and having those conversations and explaining, um, not necessarily explaining the benefit because they all know the benefit and they can all sort of 
they can all talk about um, the value of adult education um, passionately, but but what would you say, or, or or do you have any advice maybe for for any of our directors uh, who uh, maybe are not as comfortable uh, with reaching out to business leaders, um, or having those conversations, um, or maybe not used to um, to to reaching out in that way? I do listen. The Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act was all about breaking down silos. It was all about adult education and workforce coming together for the good of that adult learner. I mean, legislation was put in place specifically for that. And the I in the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act is all about innovation. So innovate. Think about it. Give it thought. Think about how can I work with these local employers so that when my adult learners go through my program, on the other end, they have a job. Because that's what this is all about, is helping them get into jobs and into community college. Everybody knows that that's how we hit our benchmarks, is is those two ways. So I just want to encourage all of the local program administrators, look at it as your job. It's the same same thing as keeping the lights on in your organization. It's the same thing as fundraising. It's, It's just as important. It's just as valuable. Find a way to get on that workforce development board. Find a way to work with your chamber of commerce. Find a way to work with as many employers as you possibly can. Just think of it as, as that's part of the job that goes with it. And it's really for the good of the adult learner. And I will also say that we do plan to provide training in this area, you know, going at the national level, specifically to local programs. That's something that we have on our list for this year. I think that that's um, something that a lot of people will, will, will benefit. Training on that specifically, I think a, a lot of our directors and a lot of a lot of people in, in, in the field will, will benefit from. But I think that that's uh, <clears throat> framing it that way is is a is a better way to sort of think about it. Um, um, that ho- hopefully will be helpful. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think we do have some directors who stuff like that just kind of comes naturally to. You know, they can just go talk to people. That's and that that you know that is part of their strengths. Uh, then we have a few other directors where it's the exact you know it's 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 the exact opposite. Um, it is something that they really struggle with. You know, they're kind of more introverted. Uh, but yeah, I th- I, you know, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think that's a great perspective um, to come at it from. That it that it is just as important as uh, getting those MSGs within the program as is uh, reaching out. And it will help them meet their benchmarks. I mean, that's the yes. other part. Yes, They'll be able to say, I, you know, I, yeah. I, these many adult learners got jobs as a result of that. So really, mm-hmm. it's so it's so critical. I mean, that's, that's kind of the irony of it, is this is so critical to their work. So just see it that way. See it as part of the job. So Dan had kind of talked about the conference earlier. So just kind of just kind of tell us about the process, I guess, in a normal year where COVID isn't, you know, is isn't an issue. Um, just kind of talk to us about the process of planning that event. You know, kind of how long does it take? You know, how large of a team do you need? I mean, what's all involved in that process? Well, John, it starts years out. So, for example, for 2020, we had signed the contract for the hotel back in 2014. So oh, wow. we start, yeah, we start scouting out years ahead, and I'll tell you why. Because in order to get a decent rate for our conferees, we have to do that. We have to get yeah. the we have to lock it in way ahead of time. <clears throat> so that's just one aspect, you know. Figure out what what city we want to be in, 
Um, we've worked very closely with the state association. So again, back in 2014, we were talking to our friends in Maryland at the Maryland State Association, wow. saying we were interested in coming, signing an MOU with them about what sorts of things they would do, what sorts of things we would do. Um, but then also, you know, how can we make sure that we have VIPs and dignitaries, that they're aware that we're coming and that they will help support it as well. So there's there's that piece. Then as we get closer, there's more work in terms of the call for presentations, the call for exhibitors, uh, getting the save the date information out, making sure our regional reps are aware and are when they're attending different conferences that they have promo materials so that they can encourage people to attend. So there's all of that, like getting the word out that way. E-blast that we put out, website development that we do. Um, and then as we get even closer, then you're talking like social media campaigns, you know, to really get the word out, talking about working with local programs who will need, oh, I need an individualized invoice, you know, because I want to bring this many people and I can only pay this amount. So we have to work with them to help them and figure out how they can get it the most uh, number of people there. Um, but then there's also the more specific work that we're doing on like general session scripting, on, um, you know, public awareness campaigns that we're doing to try to get the word out. But at the end of the day, to me, really, it comes down to the programming. The programming is the heart of the conference. That's why mm -hmm. people come to our conference um, is so that they can receive the professional development that they won't get anyplace else, right. that they will get at the national conference. The other thing that I have found is that people really come to the conference to network and to hear from other yeah. colleagues in the field. Yeah. So they don't feel alone. They don't feel siloed. Like I'm the only person out in my city that's working on adult education. They come and they feel like they're part of a much bigger group that's all working together and pushing together on those same sorts of levers all across the country. So when in a typical year, um, there we have all kinds of networking events so people can connect. Um, we intentionally do things like have lots of food, you know, in our banquet hall. So people will get in there and they'll meet with the vendors, they'll meet with each other, um, find out the best practices and the, the latest curriculum development and that sort of thing. So that's what happens typically. This year, of course, and last year were very different. Right. We had to take our national conference that's usually in person and turn it to a virtual event and try to figure out how can we do this in a way that really preserves that aspect of humanity. So people feel like they, they're yeah. connecting in and they still get that piece, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, for last year um, uh, in Baltimore, well, it was supposed to be in Baltimore, and I mean, all the COVID just hit kind of right around when you guys were really close to having your conference. And so what was the process like? I mean, like you pretty much had to put the brakes on the face-to-face uh, -face conference. And I would, I would imagine very, very quickly um, move everything virtually. I mean, what was that process like? So John, March 16th, 2020 was the day <laughs> that I'll never forget. Yeah. Um, I remember my kids were sent home from school and I just remember sitting there at my desk and thinking, what are we going to do now? Yeah. You know, the yeah. entire economy is closing down. I remember that was the day that $3 trillion was lost on the stock market. I just remember looking at that thinking, how can you possibly lose $3 trillion in a day? Right. But, you know, everything was closing down. Airports were shut down. Education was shut down. It was it was huge. March sixteenth, I ran all of our federal tables for adult ed on March sixteenth, so that we could get like a here's like the last normal day. 
<laughs> or sort of like here's where the data was before and as like a comparison for the rest of the year on March 16th it seems like that was kind of the day for everybody so Dan you remember I mean I I, I just remember thinking I don't know how we're possibly going to do this I just don't know how we're going to possibly be able to provide the professional development that's needed. I'll tell you what happened, though, a few things. One was that we immediately said these teachers need to be equipped so that they can still work with their adult learners. Many of our teachers had been recalcitrant to working online. So that's the truth of it, that there was a real need there. They'd always said, we can't do it. It's not possible. So what we started doing is we said all the teachers need to be trained in Google Classroom. All the teachers need some basic skills, and we started providing professional development for that. So that was one thing, as we said, well, let's let's just start there. We were amazed at the turnout. We would have webinars that would have 1,200, 1,800, 2,000 people on. And typically, our webinars have like 200 or 300. We'd say, that's a good webinar. Yeah. So when we were watching this and saying, you know what? Actually, I bet you we could do a virtual conference. So we talk, I talked with our board of directors and said, I'd like to just try it you know, would you trust me on this? I know it's a big ask. And it was because we were, we had to still work with the hotel to mitigate, try to mitigate some costs there. We had to try to convince the field, hey, this is doable. Let's try it online. We had to convince all the presenters, you know, and talk with the presenters and say, are you willing to work with us on this? Just try it. And we put a ton of time into, let's train the the presenters. Let's train the exhibitors. Let's work with our um, conferees. Let's create little videos to show them, like tutorials of how to get around on the app, on the platform that we would build out. And it was a huge effort. Um, I think I worked 20-hour workdays for a month and a half solid, just trying to work with my team to get this online. But we did. We had over 300 um, concurrent sessions online, and we had a beautiful built-out exhibit hall. We had, there's over um, a million, 1.3 million page views, which means people were going into the, the sessions, they were going to the exhibit hall, and there's over 20,000 public-facing conversations. So people were networking with each other, and it turned out to be a real blessing, I'll be honest with you. I mean, yeah. really, when it was all said and done, we're like, wow, we served 3,251 participants, you know, conferees, compared to, we were expecting about maybe 2,000 to attend in, live in person. So we, we were able to serve way more people this way than at um, that in-person conference. And we said, you know, from here on out, we want to do hybrid. We want to have an in-person uh, portion, but also for all those people who wouldn't be able to attend in-person that they can join us virtually. So that was like the nice switch that way. Then we were we really thought, oh, you know, we're going to move forward in 2021. We'll be able to meet in person. And that became pretty evident that this was not going to take place due to the travel restrictions that were in place. So I want to say right about November was when I started talking to the board and said, you know what? I don't think we should wait till February. I mean, this, we need to work now. So they were really agreeable to that. And that's how we then switched to the virtual setting um, and just started promoting it out that way. So we are anticipating about 4,000 will attend the conference this year. And you said, is, is the 2,000 to, you know, 2,500 or so, is that, is that pretty typical of a regular in-person year? So what we always say is about 10% of our members attend the conference. Oh, okay. So right now we have the most uh, members we've ever had, paying members who are interacting, going to our webinars, submitting for the journals, uh, submitting for our, our national awards. We have about 28,000 plus 
that are actively participating in COAG. We have over 65,000 that we're communicating with, but 28,000 that are actively participating in COAG. So 2,800 would be a fantastic turnout. It's the yeah. most members we've ever had. We're anticipating about 4,000 this year. So wow. nice split up. Um, and we believe that's because the field really needs professional development more than yeah. ever. And they yeah. see that as well. Well, that's great. I, I, I would I would think that having it virtually would would certainly open the doors to to a lot more more people being able to attend. I mean, obviously, I mean the 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 conference is is obviously there's a cost associated with it, but just the travel to to get to whatever location you're you're having uh, the conference. You know, for some people, depending on where it is geographically, is that travel cost is going to be less than um, less expensive than for some than others, but, um, but not having that as a barrier is, is, um, is, is big for a lot of these programs that have limited funding. Exactly. And so it is typically about a thousand dollars when you take into account that they will need to travel and then the hotel fees and then the meals, and then you had conference registration. So we did a few things this year. One was, of course, we Reminded people, you're not going to have those travel costs. But on top of it, we're going to take 25% off the top, knowing that a lot of programs are struggling with with funding right now. So um, that might be part of the reason why we've also seen a nice increase there as well. Yeah. Well, during your time with CoAbe, has there been, for for you, has there been a most memorable conference, um, just conference experience, or uh, um, have you had a favorite conference destination? And what all goes into to picking uh, a, a destination? I have to say the 2019 conference in New Orleans, Louisiana was unforgettable. That was so much fun. If either of you attended that, we, you'll that was the one that we went to. Yep. <laughs> yes, that was so much fun. Um, so I would say, you know, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever be able to hit that high mark again. We'll certainly try. That, that was pretty was awesome. <laughs> also, Orlando, Florida was a lot of fun too, where we were able to stay at the Disney Coronado Springs Resort. And that was a first ever for our members to be able to do that. And um, what we try to do is find ways to to get our members to as many fun and exciting places as possible. So those are the sorts of things we're thinking about now for 2022. We mm-hmm. actually were, we were going to be in Seattle, Washington, and we're sort of thinking through, is that the best place for our members in 2022? Um, so we're looking at What's going to be best for them? What will be a lot of fun for them? Yeah. Um, what else into it? We work with state associations really closely. So having a, a really good partner um, is really important. A lot of times what happens, Dan, is that the contact that we work closely with for the conference then decides, hey, I'd love to be a part of the National Coway Board of Directors and they'll still run for a position, which is great because what that means is it was a fun and good and professional development experience for that person as well. So we love to like at the end of it, shake hands with that association and know that we have a partner and friend with them going forward. So I do think it's funny that the two conferences that you mentioned, the uh, one in Orlando and the one in New Orleans, those are the two that I have been to. Um, Oh, I didn't didn't know that you've been to the, that you went to the Orlando one. Yeah. I was still a career coach at that point. Um, I believe that we stayed in the overflow uh, hotel, Um, the pops resort. I want to say, was the yeah. was the overflow? Yeah. Was so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, that was really fun. That was my first, uh, COVID experience. And then, um, as Dan said, we, we were lucky enough to go to the one in, uh, New Orleans a couple of years ago, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I spent and- so much money on food 
just like, I mean, the the conference food was great, yeah. but we just like roamed the city and ate for four days. Yeah, it was, if, if I, I don't think, I think I might agree with you. I'm not sure that you can outdo New Orleans as far as when it comes to the food. Um, that was, that was very fun. Um, and if my vote means anything, um, <laughs> you're a Seattle, member. Yeah. Seattle for 2022 sounds great. I'm just, I, I would just, <laughs> I remember hearing that Seattle was sort of on the, on the schedule and I, I was pretty excited about Seattle too. So again, it, it, yeah. it may not mean anything in the, in the grand scheme of things, but we but were both excited for, yeah. to see Seattle. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, two votes already for Seattle. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, we were also um, thinking Nashville would be a lot of fun this year. I mean, twenty twenty one. I mean, Nashville would have been great. Yeah. Going to be in the beautiful Gaylord, beautiful Gaylord Hotel. If you've ever been there, it's like this microcosm. It's a, it's just beautiful, and um, so we were really looking forward to that. And that it's been a disappointment that we couldn't do it this year, but we did push it out to twenty twenty four. So that's already scheduled. Oh, nice. Okay. okay. Awesome. What what happens? I mean, you, you talked about having to sort of recoup costs with the hotels and some of that stuff. I mean, like for Baltimore, you, you signed contracts in 2014, and then things get canceled in in 2020. I mean, like what happens when when that happens? Just contractually, when things get canceled, I mean, are is there? What do you do? It's hard. I'll tell you that, you know, we met with the general manager. We met with our hotel contact. We met with everybody we could think of. We met with a lawyer. We did everything we could think of and did everything we could trying to make sure we could move that conference from the in-person setting to the virtual setting. Um, and thankfully we were able to, and same with this year, you know, that was something where we said, well, we're not going to wait to the last minute. You know, we had to last year. Last year, honestly, it's as silly as it sounds, and now we can all go, how could we think this way? But in February of 2020, I thought, well, we'll just ride out this COVID thing. It's probably like the flu. I don't know right. if y'all felt this way. You know, we'll get through it. We'll be on the other end of it in two weeks. And as it just started to progress, and like I said, when my children were sent home from school, that's when I sat there and thought, we've, we've got to do something here. But I just didn't think, I didn't know that the field would be ready for, an, for a virtual conference and and thankfully, through the webinars, we saw they would be. This is something they could do. Are there any new initiatives that are coming down the pipeline uh, for COABE or um, anything that you would like to announce kind of as breaking news that we otherwise aren't aware of? So we have a State Advocates for Adult Education Fellowship that we're launching at the National Conference that we're super proud of. This is where we, are, we received funding from Dollar General Literacy Foundation. And the goal is really in every state that they will be meeting with their governors and members of Congress. So we're providing a customized targeted training for these fellows that will, they will be fellows for the year and they will receive an award of completion, $1,000 when they complete the program. Um, so that's something that's kind of newish. And then also this move ahead with adult ed campaign. I can't stress enough to the local programs. If you have not gone in and added your program, you should, because that's a great way to get adult learners into your program so you can meet your benchmarks. Um, Beyond that, I mean, we are always customizing and trying to think of the best ways that we can serve the field. So I would just put out there, I'm very open to emails and suggestions from the field, how we can better serve them. Um, we just recently released the, our first edition of the Racial Equity and Immigrant Integration Journal. And we had the most submissions ever for our field, um, for our journal, because there was so much interest in that topic. Our next topic will be digital literacy. 
So I want to encourage everybody, you know, if you have an interest in this topic, if you have a best practice or viewpoint you'd like to share, um, that's something that we will be publishing in late fall. So you can go on to coave.org and click on journal and submit your, your article. So that's something that is coming down the pike that the field will be hearing about just now. Uh, beyond that, the, the uh, Behind Every Employer campaign is pretty exciting. And this is where you can work with local local employers in your area. You can connect in with them. So check out BehindEveryEmployer.org for more details on that. Well, that's actually a, a pretty good transition to what we wanted to do next. Uh, we reached out to a few directors across the state to sort of solicit some questions from the field for you. Um, and, and our first question is actually about the Behind Every Employer initiative. Um, I know you just mentioned it and you actually referenced it earlier, but can you just briefly uh, give us a little bit more detail about what that initiative entails? Absolutely. So this is our way of trying to bring together the workforce sector and the adult education programs. The idea really is that we want employers to know about the great work that adult education um, programs are doing and connect in with them. So we actually are going to be holding in the fall, we'll be holding a um, symposium specifically around this topic. But right now we have a group, a committed group of um, employers that meet together with myself and a gentleman named Anson Green, who's a former state director for Texas for adult education. He's now an executive over at Tyson. We meet together regularly and talk about different ways that we can do a better job of connecting in at the local level as well as the national level. How can um, local programs participate? They can go right on the website and they can put in there their success stories of ways they're working with employers. If they don't have any success stories, but they want to participate, they can still send an email and we're happy to connect in with them and try to help them as best as we can. So that's one thing I'd, I'd highly recommend. And Dan and John, going back to our, what we were saying early on, they should get on every workforce development board that they can. They should tie in with their chamber of commerce. They should think about working with local uh, employers in their area so that their adult learners can have a job when they get out of their program. Uh, one of the other questions that we have, and I know that we were talking about uh, this year's virtual conference a little bit earlier. So is, were there any discoveries that, that you guys had made when coordinating, when um, coordinating the conference uh, this year, um, as opposed to when you, you know, we're basically flying by the seat of your pants when you did it last year, kind of what was that process like? So um, something that we really learned from last year was that the vendors were really, and the vendors we start, we look at as real partners for, for CoAve, they underwrite a, a huge cost of the conference for attendees. So we've been able to keep our costs low year after year after year. And in part due to the vendors, they're able to sponsor like, you know, snack breaks or, networking events or things like this that really help the field in the long term. So it's it's harder for them, you know, for a vendor in a virtual setting. You're not able to shake that attendee's hand and put, you know, put your hand on the back and hand them a hard copy book. And so this is something we really took to heart and said, okay, 2021, what can we do? So we added gamification. We added where they, um, attendees can leave a business card. We added a join now, like a meet now sort of an option so they can meet up like this with a vendor and, and talk with them in like a private room. So our goal has been, how can we add more customization for the vendors so that they will be able to have that same sort of experience? And we know nothing is like that in person for a vendor, but we've been really working hard at that. I think that was my biggest takeaway from the conference because when we looked back at the um, 
the ratings that we received on the evaluation conference evaluation, like four and five stars out of five consistently across the board. And the one area that I think there was that need to find more ways to help was with the vendors. And you think about it, these, these organizations, many of them have put hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into their products to try to have them available for the field. We've customized products that are specifically for our field. Um, so our goal is we want to see them continue to thrive and we want to see them thrive in the virtual setting, not just in the in-person setting. This is another uh, question that we got from a director. Uh, she asked, uh, with regard to performance outcomes, when you when you look at the uh, sort of the, the the field of adult ed across the country, is there a particular state that has done an exceptional job with work readiness initiatives? Texas, Texas has done an excellent job. Texas. So has California. Yes, off the top of my head, those two I would say are just outstanding examples. Um, when it comes to workforce initiatives. And I feel like there's, it's not just us co-wave saying this is important. The state directors are saying this is important. You know, so that's really, that's a really key piece too, because we know local programs receive their funding from the state directors. So when the state director has a focus in the area, that really helps at the local program level too. And I do know that NASDAQ, the National Association for State Directors of Adult Ed, will be providing some leadership excellence training shortly for local programs. So that's something that will be coming out soon and I think will help as well. In your view, um, how has the field of adult education evolved during the pandemic? You know, kind of what adjustments have you seen from the field um, that they've made to kind of meet, you know, these changing needs of adult learners in this past year? It's been huge. I mean, I feel like every administrator that I talk to tells me I'm putting in way more hours than I did even in the past because they're really trying to figure out ways so that they can provide in-person. Some are actually have gone back to providing in-person as well as this online construct mm-hmm. for education. So that, that enrolling online, so many local programs were not, they didn't even have online, like uh, online enrollment services. So this is something that's been a, a shift. Um, the digital literacy aspect of making sure adult learners have the digital skills to get on their computer and get around and, and know how to get onto the classroom setting. Those sorts of things have been huge for our field this year. I often say we went from that horse and buggy to the space age in the, the course of like nine months. Yeah. You know, it really was where the field for so long was recalcitrant to this and did not think it was possible and would often say, well, how could we possibly teach ESL you know, learners at the first level, how could we possibly teach them? Well, we are, (laughs) but it's been hard work. And I think the field has really had to do a lot of innovating and being willing to change and grow and put in, and of course they're putting in tons of extra hours as well. So 2021 marks the fourth year uh, that adult ed has been operating under WIOA. Um, So can you describe what you see as being on the horizon uh, for the field of adult education? Well, let me just say this. My understanding after talking with our um, firm that we work closely with in the public policy arena is that we always up for reauthorization this year. So we're already on it. We're talking with legislators. We're talking with Senator Reid's office. We have a number of legislators we work closely with. Um, So that's one thing. We're also, if uh, those of us, those of you who are familiar with CoAve know that we led the charge on how can we... um, tweak the NRS? How can we change some of the performance metrics there? 
many of our teachers were telling us, you know, this administering all these different tests to adult learners who come in our program and they have test after test after test that they have to take is a real issue. And we took that to heart. So we started having meetings with ACTA. We started having meetings with legislators and really started trying to get legislators to think about this and think about what are some other ways that we can, other performance metrics that we can be looking at. So that that's something that we're really looking at right there. I think if I was to talk about where the innovation is going to come, digital literacy is huge. You know, how are we going to be making sure that, that adult learners have what they need to be able to join us online? How can we make sure that that hybrid model of in-person, but also the virtual setting works well? But I also want to say, I think funding is huge. And I think we have to continue to keep, you know, talking with legislators about the need for funding, talking about who we're working with here and what have been the, the ongoing barriers to employment and to community college that we've seen. We, we held an ability to benefit summit over, uh, I believe it was November of 2020. And that was where we worked specifically with college presidents and chancellors and registrars. And we're really working with them to, to showcase that, hey, there's this funding that's there that will help your enrollment numbers, but it also helps our adult learners get into college. So those are sorts of things that I would say we need to do more of that in the future. We need to look at where, where are the, um, what are the tough nuts to crack where are the pain points for the field and how can we at CoAbe sort of come around them and figure them out with the field? And then as we always being reauthorized, make sure they're addressed, make sure those pain points are addressed. So I would say my door is open. And I mean that literally it's come, give me your input. As we look at re the reauthorization for WIOA, I want to hear where there are ways that you wish that CoAbe could talk with legislators about this because we are, we're already at the table. I've met, Myself, I've met with many, many legislators to talk about this. So I'd like to hear more from the field. You might want to watch that. <laughs> Glad <laughs> I met that. So seriously. Yes. Um, and I think we do have one more director question. So several state level ABE leaders are presenting at COABE uh, 2021 for the digital natives and digital learners. How has the online format impacted the strands that are offered at this year's conference? You know, it's interesting. You would think maybe there'd be less strands. There's the same number of strands, and we've actually had more um, organizations wanting to partner on the national conference. So for us, it's been it's just been interesting to see because we're I think many were worried like what's going to happen to the conference? Is it going to be different? Is it not going to be as robust? It's just as robust. There's over 375 concurrent sessions that are taking place. There's 17 strand partners. Actually, there's 36 strand partners we work with, but 17 strands. So we really try to condense it down to specific strands. But um, I want to say thank you to all of our partners that have worked so hard with us to make this the same sort of professional development experience, but in a virtual setting. Um, obviously, this pandemic, um, everybody's sort of being shut in over the past year or so has been a, an adjustment uh, for everybody. Um, has there been anything in particular that has uh, been sustaining for you, uh, getting you through it? Have you picked up any new hobbies? Have you, you know, gotten into baking or uh, gardening or how, how's your, you know, you've been working on a sourdough bread starter, like half the world or. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to have time to do all of that? No, for me, it's how do we make sure the field still has what they need and how do we really wrap in around right. them and provide additional <clears throat> services? That's really been where my mind has been at. 
Um, but I will say my family and I will be moving from New York State, where I was born and raised, to Florida. And so that's taking place in the next uh, couple months. So that's been, of course, that takes a little bit of time oh, to wow. put your house on the market and buy a new house and figure out where your children are going to school and all that sort of thing. So that's, that's I think, taken yeah. um, quite a bit of time. Where in Florida are you moving to? Bradenton, Florida, right near Sarasota. Oh, okay. So you're basically just uh, jumping on 95 and going all the way, going all the way down. Is that all the way down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My husband and I run a, a food pantry. So that's something else that we do on the side. And I, I also personally run an adult ed program as well. So we keep oh, okay. really busy and we go to church four times a week. So we're busy there too. And our kids are very active in sports. Um, so I often feel like there's just not enough hours in the day to do it all. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like it. Wow. <clears throat> So why what's uh what's in what's in Florida? You just get tired of the cold New York upper you know, upstate New York winters, or what? What's uh what's 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 waiting in sunny Florida? We actually feel that we've been called to ministry down there, so we're going to be working. We already we run a pantry that has served over sixty thousand meals to people in need since COVID hit, um, and we we would like to do the same down in in Bradenton, Florida. We feel that there's a real need there, so. That's that's why we're going to be moving down there. Okay, great. It's still working with CoAbe just from Florida. That's right. Yeah, that's one of the beauties now with this virtual work, right? It's like you yeah, can you can do it work. anywhere. Yeah, where it wouldn't have been possible ten years ago, it is now possible. Sharon, thank you so much for uh, letting us take some time out of your day uh, to uh, to come on the on the show. We really appreciate uh, having you on and uh, and getting a chance to to speak with you. Yes, I do want to say, I mean, it is, I mean, you were saying earlier that you do have an open door policy and we we are a testament to that. I know I spoke for Dan because he has uh, said this already. Uh, when he contacted CoAbe, he, he did not expect um, the CEO to to respond. So we, we are very appreciative of your time. You're so welcome. And I appreciate the opportunity. So what I how I feel about this is we're all in it together, right? How I want to support the field. And we've been so thankful the field has supported us as well, right? The national organization. So we're all working together to try to help those adult learners, but in different ways. So my door is definitely open. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It really was a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Right, you. Appreciate thank you. It. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Sharon Bonney, the CEO of CoAbe, for joining us on this podcast episode. We appreciate her coming on and talking to us and learning more about CoAbe. Special thanks also to John Kelly, Ben Aldama, and Kim Darling for sending in some great questions for us to ask Sharon during our interview. And one final thanks to Jana Jenkins for coming in to round out this special CoAbe-themed episode. And as always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. And if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. We enjoy them, but it also helps other potential listeners find the show. And while you're online, make sure to check out coabe.org to learn more about all the great work that the organization is doing to advocate for adult education across the country and find out more information about all the things that Sharon mentioned on the show and the new initiatives coming up. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more effective and efficient. Thank you.